Welcome to Crackpot Cocktail Hour. I'm your host, Lacey Ramsey. And I'm your host, Alex Brennan. We are a podcast for the strange and unusual. Every other Friday, we release an episode where one of your hosts teaches the other about a topic or event that we find to be strange or unusual. On Monday, before the episode is released, we post our custom-themed cocktail recipe so you have time to get the ingredients and drink along with us. So sit back and relax. It's time for Crackpot Cocktail Hour. Yes. So how are you doing? I am better. I feel less nauseous after eating that piece of cheese. Yay! <laughs> cheese. Yeah, so that's good. Um, I'm excited about this cocktail. I'm happy to hear this story today and not have to tell a story but get to listen to one. I am very excited for this cocktail. This is one of my favorite presentations you've done. It's up there and probably my probably top three, I would say. Thank you. <laughs> I was really excited uh, when I got the concept for this one, actually. Um, so what you are about to sip is a UFO no. Oh no! Um, I was looking for a way to use uh, creme de violet because I've never really experimented with it, but every cocktail that I've had that had it in there, I've loved it. So I was like, let's look for a way to do that. And I wanted something kind of silvery in color. So it's kind of purple silvery. Mm-hmm. And then I also added a little satellite candy on top <laughs> with two toothpicks sticking out. So it looks like a UFO and then a beam going down into the glass. I am very much enjoying everything about the presentation. I think Fox Mulder would approve. <laughs> I'm so glad. <laughs> I was really excited. Um, and I got some pretty good shots of it too. So that'll be fun to post on uh, social media. Your pictures of the cocktails have been amazing. In fact, I don't know if you've gone through the website since we've redone it, I but for season one and season two, I used pictures that you'd taken of cocktails that you'd created Thank as you. the buttons. Oh, that's so cool. That's neat. So yeah, if you want to get into it, I can start. I can tell everyone what's in this. All right. Well, first of all, cheers. Cheers. Ooh. Ooh. I like the sound of the UFO. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the little satellite candy has like tiny like beads. Uh, and they're really, uh, they're really gross. Uh, those candies are. Oh. Yeah. I, I mean, it's just like. It's great for the presentation. Yeah. It's just like flavorless wafer and then like semi-flavorless crunchy beads. Oh. So but we have a whole bag of them because you like can't buy just three. The candy you get on Halloween, you're like, I guess this house just hates children. Yeah. But it is, I, th- I thought I bought it for the look, definitely. Yeah. So no, no shade to uh, satellite candy. <clears throat> so shade. So what goes into UFO? No. Oh no. <laughs> is two parts gin. I'm using Hanami gin. I talked to the guy at Total Wine, where I always go, and I was like, told him kind of what I was looking to do, and he suggested a like light floral gin that has notes of cherry blossom, which we've actually mm. used in previous gin cocktails on the show before. I really like Hanami, so when he suggested that, I was like, I'm in. So it's uh, we used Hanami, two parts gin, one part creme de violet, one part maraschino liqueur, half a part of hazelnut liqueur. and a quarter part of lemon juice so it's just kind of a dash you shake everything with ice and strain it into a champagne flute and garnish it with satellite candy using two toothpicks (laughs) to make a little UFO beam Um, 
So I've uh, enjoyed this. It's kind of a take on uh, an aviation. So an aviation is a really similar cocktail, but it doesn't have that hazelnut in it. And mm-hmm. I wanted to add something that was like, since we're going to be doing a sort of nutty professor <laughs> type story, I thought that was a fun twist and also, you know, kind of customized it for us. And then I can give you the, the mocktail as well. Yes, I would love to hear the mocktail while I continue to drink this. <laughs> I may not be coherent for this episode, guys. Blame Lacey. <laughs> uh, the UFO No mocktail is two parts Ritual Zero Proof Gin Alternative. Ritual Zero Proof makes a lot of like good liquor alternative distilled spirits. One part violet syrup, one part sour cherry syrup, quarter part lemon juice, and a dash of hazelnut flavor. You don't want to go like bunch of hazelnut because if you're getting a concentrated flavor, then just a little goes a long way. You shake everything with ice, straight it into a champagne flute, and garnish it with a satellite candy just the same. Here's the funny thing about this. So, I mean, obviously I am getting the floral in it, but it almost tastes like drinking candy. Yes! That's yeah. that's the part of, like, a creme de violet cocktails that I wanted to capture. Every time I've had it, like, people occasionally complain, complain or say it's perfumey or, like, too floral, and I'm like, no, when it's done right, I think it's mm-hmm. actually, like, really kind of candy-like. Yeah, I kind of feel like if you were to liquefy nerds <laughs> and you were to drink them, this is what it would taste like. Oh, I'm so glad you like it. It's also going to, you know, fuck me up because I love nerds. <laughs> Who doesn't love nerds? Who isn't nerds? Here. There. Who aren't nerds? Who isn't nerds? <laughs> Your grammar is gooder than mine. It is. Alright. All right. So, now that um, I'm getting fucked up, before the alcohol hits my brain, would you like to hear the story Definitely. of... Granger Taylor. Granger Taylor. Granger Taylor, the spaceman. Oh, yes. Um, I should also give uh, some credit here. I first heard this story on Dark Poutine, a Canadian podcast about true crime and strange events in Canada. So I highly, highly recommend them. I think if you enjoy our show, you will enjoy them too. Um, Also, the CBC did a several part documentary on Granger Taylor that was released about a year or two ago. Unfortunately, it's not available in the United States. And I really wish I had a chance to actually watch it before putting together this episode. I just couldn't find it anywhere. So if anyone knows where I can watch Spaceman from the CBC, please let me know. It's an early evening on November 19th as Jim makes his way to the front door of his farmhouse in Duncan, B.C. His wife, Grace, and mother of his stepson, Granger, will not arrive home until later, and Jim's eyes idly move to the tree line near the edge of the 21-acre property. He cannot help but smile. Along the tree line sits a makeshift spacecraft, complete with the saucer roof and dual antenna. It was never built to fly. It's another pet project of his stepson's, the local genius with a strange fascination with extraterrestrial life. The grounds are littered with mechanical odds and ends. Since the man was a boy of 14, Granger brought home broken-down vehicles destined for the scrap heap. In a matter of weeks to years, each rusted shell re-emerged from the property, factory-fresh and fully functional. At 32, Granger has made a career of his gift. But it's the end of the day, and Jim makes his way to the bedroom he shares with Granger's mother. He's nearly there, breathing in the comforts of home and fantasizing about sitting on the edge of his bed. It's just then his feet stop. The note is nailed to the door, written all capital letters, with a signature at the bottom. Dear Mother and Father, I have gone to walk aboard an alien spacecraft. As reoccurring dreams assured me a 42-month interstellar voyage to explore the vast universe, then return. I am leaving behind all my possessions to you. I will no longer require the use of any. Please use the instructions in my will as a guide to help you. Love, Granger. 
How are we feeling so far? Uh, I realize this is an audio medium, so you can't see me just shifting my eyes back and forth trying to like make sense of this. I would yeah. be terrified, I think, as a parent. I'm not a parent, mm-hmm. but imagining that, like coming back to a note from your son that's like, I'm going off on this journey yeah. to space. And you're like, no, you don't work at NASA, so... <laughs> no, Granger, no. Granger, bad. <laughs> so, um, I mentioned the UFO on the property, so yes. I'm going to text it to you really quick, and it's just a replica. It's not meant to be functional. It's more or less kind of like a, a hangout, almost like a clubhouse that he's built in the backyard, but I'm going to send it to you so you can look at it and you can give us your thoughts on it. Okay. It looks like a cross between, like, a big vat, like, at a brewery and, like, a children's toy on a playground. Yeah. I remember they had those, like, spaceship type... Yeah, yeah, that's a really good way to describe it. Um, but yeah, you see, like, there's, like, a little chimney sticking out of it. You can see the window, so obviously, like, he set it up so he can hang out in there. He had been known to spend the night out there and hang out there with friends. Again, it's not something that's, like, meant to be functional. It's just kind of, like... His fun little thing on the property that he just built to hang out in. Yeah, I could, I definitely can see it being like a clubhouse or just like, yeah, like a man cave or a she shed or, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I don't want to make it sound like Granger's like any kind of a kook. I mean, this guy is, he's a genius. I mean, I already told you, like, he's already started, you know, building things when he was very young at 14. How old is he at this point? He's 32 years old. Okay. So let's start with the search. Duncan, B.C. sits on the bottom east corner of Vancouver Island, just west of Washington State's San Juans. Mm -hmm. So it's actually very accessible to us here. Yeah, I actually was, like, uh, on San Juan Island a couple of months ago. Yeah, yeah, so you were, like, within, like, you were within shot of Duncan Island, or Duncan, it wasn't very far from you. Okay. As an old lumber town, it's currently home to approximately 5,000 residents, and in 1980, when local inventor, genius, and gentle giant Granger Taylor disappeared, word tore through the small community. And this is just a town of 5,000 people today, so maybe even less back then. Gentle giant, so he was like... At this time, I believe he was described as 6'3 and 240 pounds. Oh, wow, yeah. So, so, you know, he's just, he's a big guy, but he was very sweet, very smart. He was known to, you know, roughhouse and play around with, like, local kids. Everybody loved him. That also kind of makes me want to see, like, some kind of scale on this UFO because it looks like not very big, like, for a, like, large man to be able to comfortably hang out in. Yeah, I don't have the dimensions on them, but if I can find it, I will go ahead and, you know, put that on our website. Yeah, it just makes me curious, like, what kind of space he built for himself. Yeah. So as word is tearing through the community about Taylor's disappearance, almost ominously, a powerful storm struck the island. Gale force winds uprooted trees and blackouts struck most of the town. It was after the air stilled and the cleanup began could anyone hope to search for the missing man. So his stepdad comes home, finds the note, word starting to spread the Granger's missing, and this crazy ass storm hits. Oh my gosh. This story has everything. Yeah. Like, my heart is beating faster listening to this. Just hours before his stepdad found the note, Granger was seen at Bob's Grill in Duncan, where he was a regular. Nothing seemed amiss. According to witnesses, he sat alone, enjoyed his meal, and politely left. An extensive search was soon underway. 
Of Granger's many vehicles, only his Datsun pickup truck was missing. Upon further search of the family property, an inventory revealed several sticks of dynamite were missing, along with Granger's passport and a large sum of money he had saved up over the years. The dynamite sounds weird, but remember this is an old lumber town? They used to use the sticks of dynamite to get out old stubborn uh, tree stumps out of the ground whenever they were having issues clearing land for their property. So that's why they had like a stockpile of dynamite. Yeah, it's not like they were just like, hmm, I love my collection of dynamite. Has anything gone? No, our TV's here. No, all our furniture, the dynamite. <laughs> it's actually the town's stockpile of dynamite. This is almost another Pepcon. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so he's taken the di- some of the, not all the dynamite, but some of the dynamite. He's taken some of the dynamite and one of his pickup trucks. And money and his like identification document. Yeah, and I believe it was like $10,000 Canadian currency at the time. I know there's a lens through which I see the world that's just yelling mental illness at me right now. <laughs> but I'm definitely curious about that. I'm like, hmm, oh no. So as the roads and waters were searched, more oddities began to emerge. For example, and as directed, his family consulted Granger's will. In it, the word deceased was notably replaced with the word departed. Does anyone get Carol Baskin vibes? Oh my god. Yeah, ooh. Yeah, he intentionally changed his will from deceased to departed. To like gone. Like not necessarily dead, just like gone. Like if I like was planning on being gone. Yeah, he's like, if I want to peace out with these ETs, like this is my last will and testament. I gotta say, like, I'm I'm gonna step up real quick on my soapbox and just be like, literally everyone listening to this, make a will. Just make a will. Just do it. You can go online, you can find a template, you just write it down, you get it signed. In most states, you don't even need it notarized. You just have it as a document. You can guide people. It's useful. It's way worse for people if you do not have a will. That's my PSA. I'm stepping back down. So um, not only do both my parents have wills, I have the power of attorney for both my parents. Good. Well, he has power of attorney for me if, for any reason, I go fucking nuts. Oh, yeah. Heath has power of attorney for me, but, like, both my parents are like, no, pull the fucking plug. You're the only one who can. Mom, are you listening? Do you have a will? Can you make a will? Mom, (laughs) My mom and my dad have made it very, very clear what they want done. Um, I do have a biological brother, and yet they still chose me, their eldest, to (laughs) make this decision, even though my mom is remarried. (laughs) No, the power to pull the plug is in my hands. I've made the promises I've made to my mom are I will pull the plug, I will have her cremated. And then I will have her ashes scattered at sea, and I will read Fox and Socks at her funeral. She originally wanted green eggs and ham, but we decided that Fox and Socks is better. (laughs) (laughs) So focus shifted to his inner circle. The man's eccentricities were well known. His backyard replica UFO served as a hangout and refuge for Granger and his friends. They often smoked cannabis and took LSD. Though this was a part of his life, Granger was a tinkerer at heart. He seemed to have an almost insatiable curiosity and uncanny instinct for mechanics. In short, he enjoyed to learn how things pieced together, stripping them down and building them back up better than before. By almost any measure, he was a genius. Still, interviews revealed telltale conversation he'd had with a friend only a month before his disappearance. In this conversation, Granger claimed not only was he in contact with aliens, but he'd arranged a rendezvous with them. Soon, the 42 months passed. Because remember, he said, I won't be gone for 42 months. Yeah. Then 43. Before anyone knew it, five years had fallen off the calendar, and despite the assurance of his last message, 
Granger Taylor failed to rematerialize. Lacey has the saddest look on her face right now. <laughs> it really did make me sad. Like, I I assumed, you know, logic left side of my brain was very much like, probably this guy's gone. But like, you know, my heart was definitely like, what did he see? <laughs> Who was he with? I want to hear his stories. So also remember, this happened in 1980. So we're at 1985 and he hasn't rematerialized. So maybe that'll give you a glimmer of hope, but there's still more stories to tell. Keep going. Okay. So let's talk about Granger's history. Yeah. So he was born on October 7th of 1942 and from early childhood on. I know. (laughs) In case you guys didn't catch that. (laughs) My birthday is October 5th. It's uh, 1948. So it's a different year, but. (laughs) 1948 (laughs) is your birthday. (laughs) Well, it wasn't his birthday, 1940 something. 47. 42. Yeah, I was just riffing off. Yeah, when I saw it at 7th, I was like, this is Lacey's birthday. (laughs) Mine's the 5th. But, you know, different year in the 40s. Yeah. I've aged very well, you guys. She really has. She's a vampire. Born on October 7th of 1942, his early childhood on, Granger was raised by his mother, Grace, and his stepfather, Jim. Though often bored in school, he was a curious child, often taking things apart to figure out how objects worked. Yeah, smart kids get bored in school a lot of the time. Yeah, I mean, did you ever, like, take apart, like, a magic eight ball to figure out how it worked? I was not a big taker-aparter of things. Um, I was not super wanting to, like get my hands dirty with stuff, to be honest. Oh, I was a taker-a-parter of things. Oh, I, yeah, from the paint all over your <laughs> respirator, I see that. I really liked taking things apart and building things. Okay, I feel like Granger and I could have been, I feel like he would have been, like, an older brother figure to me if I had ever met him. Yeah, I, I would have, like, wanted that. to learn from him. Um, but, like, I, do you remember, oh, everyone knows this, you remember when they re-released Star Wars with, like, all the CGI for the first time? Han shot first. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Han did shoot first. But, Taco Bell did like a bunch of like really cool Star Wars toys, but there was one that was a box, and if you looked at it from one side, it was Yoda, and it was at the other side, it was Darth Vader. Ooh. And so I broke it open to figure out how it worked, and there was a mirror in it going diagonally, and so on one side they glued like half a Yoda head, and the other side they glued half a Darth Vader head. Oh, so as you rotated it, it looked like a full face. That's cool. Yeah, I, I never had that kind of like mechanical curiosity. I was a lot more um, about like, why do people do the things? I was much more like... You want to know how people work. Yeah. I want to know how things work. Yeah. So I guess it's like just kind of a different um, facet of the same desire. Yeah. One of my mom's favorite stories is when my brother and I were kids, she found us in the kitchen repeatedly like flooding the counter with like water and milk and shit. And she was trying to figure out what we were doing. And we were... And I explained, it's like, well, like if you like fill up the cup with like just enough liquid, like it doesn't go flat. Like it almost like has like a curve on Uh it. We... I wanted to show Bobby it, my younger brother, and we just want to know why it happened. And my mom, instead of being pissed at us for, like, getting, like, milk and water all over the counter, was like, oh, you want to know why water crusts? Why, why it crests? You want to know why that happens? And it has to do with, like, molecular bonding and all that fun stuff. And so she was just, like, happy that, like, I noticed this thing in nature. And then my brother and I were like, but why does this happen? What a great, like, opportunity not missed from, like, a parenting perspective of just being like, oh, I want to, like, feed your curiosity and not, like, just be like, don't make messes. Yeah. Like, and, like, she explained, you know, what it was. So, I mean, that's... That's just like how my brother and I've always been. We just like, we find things that we're curious about and we research the shit about them and then we make podcasts about it. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome. Or at least I do. I don't know what Bobby's doing. (laughs) So at 14, he lost all interest in school and dropped out partway through the eighth grade. 
Then in 1954 or 55, all we know is that this is sometime during this year when he's uh, in the eighth grade. I don't know if it's before or after his birthday or what part of the eighth grade this is in. So I'm saying 1954, 1955, he took a part-time job as an automotive apprentice. He worked as a mechanic for about a year before leaving to pursue his own interests. So by 15, he's like, you know what? I'm getting bored with this like auto mechanic job and I'm just gonna like peace out and do my own thing. I mean, what were you doing at 15? I certainly wasn't doing that. I was not doing my own thing in any way. I was doing my homework. I was memorizing my lines for the plays. I was I was doing the things I should be doing, and I was doing them well. <laughs> I wasn't doing my own thing or any of that. I can't say what I was doing because I think my mom would be really mad. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I wasn't that bad at 15. I really wasn't. Um, It was really like when I got to like... 15 was a year when everything happened, and then, like, 16 to, I would say, like, 20 were the years where I was dealing with that and not making the best decisions. Look, a girl has to process. That's what that Taylor Swift song's about, right? When you're 15. (laughs) (laughs) Taylor and I had the exact same childhood. (laughs) I could tell. Uh, Around this time, he began to bring home the first of many projects. After recovering a single-cylinder car, he brought that husk to his family home, where he began to work. He completed the car by his 15th birthday, rebuilding it piece by piece. There's a Johnny Cash song about that. (laughs) Here's the thing, though. Often, if he could not find the part that he needed, he would just manufacture it himself. What? Okay. All right. So... I'm trying to wrap my mind around again, like what it's like in this household and like as his family and stuff. And I'm like, it's the 50s. And he's like, really smart. And so dropping out of school that young, like, was probably less of a big deal, especially if you're like, gonna go work for a while. Yeah. So I get that. And then like, now he's not working, but he is like making these projects and like building cars and stuff. So like, I mean, he's clearly not like doing nothing. He's clearly like mm-hmm. productive and engaged with the world and like, build like manufacturing auto parts when he has like, to. Have you ever like rebuilt a, a piece of a car before? Uh, no, that is, uh, again, the putting hands on things. <laughs> okay, so when I was a kid, my dad had a 1965 Corvette. And I fucking loved this car, but it didn't run great. So, you know, it needed a lot of work. Like, the alternator was crap, so you always, like, had to charge the battery. There were, like, all sorts of, like, little things that we always had to tinker with. But one thing it really needed was a carburetor. But here's the thing about the 1965 Corvette Stingray. This matters to nobody else but me. I'm sure there are other people that this matters to. Cars matter to so many people. Cars and sports. People care about those things. Well, the particular carburetor you needed for the 65 model, because that was the first year of the side exhaust, and so like, they upgraded what the engine was, how the engine worked. Sure. For simple, they changed how the engine worked. So because they changed how engine worked, they needed new type carburetor. So only certain types of carburetors Carbur- will work. Carbur what? No, I'm just kidding. Keep so like most cars like it's like you can like use like between like these years mm-hmm. for engine parts i actually did know that yeah um for the 1965 corvette stingray it has a much narrower window of carburetors you can use so it needed to be replaced or refurbished mm. and we for the life of us could not find a replacement just because they're so rare and you it's like such a narrow window most of them have either blown themselves or there just aren't any fresh ones out there so we actually had 
to rebuild the one that we had. We had to refurbish and clean out the one that we had. So there's my little soapbox on that. And that was just a carburetor. That was one fucking piece. And it was like extant and you had to refurbish it. It wasn't like you had to like find the materials to create this. Exactly. It's like I at least had like pieces of something and I'm I'm not going to let my dad did almost all the work. I was just there like with the book like, okay, dad, me learn things now. But... I think that's one of the things my dad and I share in common is we love to build things. Mm. But that was just one piece and it took us so long just to replace and fix and put like this one piece back together. And he did this for multiple pieces that he manufactured. That is insane. Yeah, that is. I mean, I'm I'm very impressed by that. I mean, granted, like I had school. My dad had like full time job and like we weren't just like spending all of our time like digging around for scrap for it. But still, it's he's in a small town, too. So there aren't a lot of resources. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just, I'm so impressed with Granger and his just his intelligence. You know who I'm picturing when you said Gentle Giant? I realized I realized who I've got in my mind. Who uh, the actor Cameron Britt, who plays um, Ed Kemper in Mindhunter. Oh, oh, I love him. He's um, he's so good. We just saw him in something recently. Uh, he's in I think Umbrella Academy, and Lee was like, he sounds like that guy, and I was like, he doesn't look like him, and it was him, and I was like, oh my god. Oh, I love him so much. You know, I think it would be really cool if like he played like Granger Taylor and like a made for TV movie or something. Do we know what Granger looked like? Have you we do. Hold on a second. Pictures? I actually, I have a picture of him with the single cylinder car and I'm going to text it to you really quick. Because like Kemper is terrifying but everyone who's worked with Cameron Brett has been like, he's just the nicest guy. He's just like sweet yeah. and disarming. And that's how it is with um, Granger Taylor. It's just like, he's like a really big guy. You know, honestly, this guy could probably kill you 12 different ways and uh, like either with his physicality or like just with his brain. But he was just like supposed to be the nicest guy. Well, here's a picture of him with his stepdad and his mom. Oh, yeah. I feel like I have met that guy. Like, I feel like I went to high school with that guy and he was like into ICP, but like not a dick. Yeah. He's just like, everyone like knows that one friend who's kind of like just like a big guy, like not heavy or anything, just just a big guy who's just like super sweet that you can always rely on. Even the face he's making in this is like, I don't you can see some intelligence, just like even in his expression, like he just seems very present. Yeah, he's just such a smart guy, like here's him with the single cylinder. Wow. Yeah. He's just so proud of himself too, because like, you know, he, he put so much time like into it. So... Will we post those? Will that be available? Oh, absolutely. Okay, cool. I'm going to post all this stuff, and I'm not even done with his achievements. So the, cur- the car was the first of many automotives that he started working on, but soon he managed to bring home a steam-powered train engine that he found in the woods. I'm going to repeat that. He found a steam-powered train engine in the woods and with a lot of hard work, got it back to the 21-acre home, and then he fully restored it to full functionality. Okay, I'm going to say this is just further proof we're in a simulation because he was probably just like wandering through the woods one day and just like stumbled upon like a quest objective that was like oh here's a steam engine it's meant for you (laughs) because nobody else is going to be able to get this home and start working on it in some productive way so it's it's just for you here's a steam engine in the woods well i mean i don't find this entirely too weird just because they're like a lot of like dump yards and like you can see like pictures like from all over the world of like old abandoned roadways where cars are just piled up and uh the um into the wild bus was literally just a bus in the forest in Alaska that he died in. <laughs> Look, I'm just saying. <laughs> Though that bus has now been moved. 
the bus is not in the forest in Alaska anymore. They actually helicoptered it out of the forest because people started going on treks to visit it and then they would need to get rescued because they're in the wilderness in Alaska. Yeah. And like the whole thing is like that guy died. So maybe don't go do that same thing because you might die. Yeah. See also climbing Mount Everest. (laughs) That should be enough. There's some things that my favorite murderer has done for episodes that I want to do and that was so good. I remember we were, you were talking about that right before they put that episode out. Yeah, I had literally just like researched just like bodies on Mount Everest. And then like a few days later, George was like, so I want to talk about bodies on Everest. And I was like, you knew. I'm not psychic. Um, and it's not a simulation. <laughs> it's normal. It's fine. Everything's, fine. This is fine. <laughs> just, just <laughs> Yep. <laughs> literally, because everything's on fire. on fire. Um, so he finds a train engine in the forest. Like you do. He restores it. But that's not the only thing he finds in the forest. He finds the fuselage of a Kitty Hawk fighter plane and brings it home. Restores it to full functionality. And is gets bought by a collector who actually flies it. On the one hand, I'm like, how satisfying must it be to do things purely for, like, your own, like, curiosity and gratification? I mean, like, Mm -hmm. that's this podcast for us. It's like, we just, like, get to learn things and have fun with that. And then on the other hand, I'm like, God, you could be making so much money somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) You're such a genius in this skill. And I'm like, oh, it's the capitalism in me. I don't like that muscle at all. I'd much rather he be happy in the woods building engines. Yeah, so what he actually did for a job is he used to just repair things around town. And he Uh ended up being self-sustained and self-employed. So if you needed your car fixed or there was something weird going around, it's going on and nobody else could figure it out, give it a Granger. I'm inspired by him. Yeah. So like he would just like build things. And um, one of the things that they were saying on Dark Poutine, I guess they talk about on uh, the Space Man documentary by the CBC, is everyone was saying that like today he could like go to like MIT with like a full scholarship. Like he was just like one of those geniuses. But honestly, he was just the guy who just wanted to tinker. He didn't care about going to school. He didn't care about accolades. He's like, I just like doing my thing. To be so self-directed. <laughs> yeah, he just—he was just like one of those small town geniuses. So fascinating, amazing person. And then he like he had this wonderful reputation. And one of the things they talk about in the CBC documentary uh, when everyone talks about him is everyone just misses him. Mm. He was just such a treasure to the town. And yeah. the fact that he's missing. Well, it sounds like he, like, Gentle Giant brings to me at mind, like, calming energy, like, somebody that people feel like they can rely on, and, like, he would show up in a pinch. He would be somebody that, like, nobody else can help, so he can. Like, I think definitely a community would feel that loss. Here's the thing, though. There's always another side to that coin. Still because of his size and his strangeness and his smarts, that set him apart from everybody else in town. So as a child and even as a teenager, Granger was subject to bullying. Mm. He was lonely in many ways. He was a small-town genius in a blue-collar community. He didn't really have anyone he could relate to. So I'm thinking in, Beauty and the Beast. I'm thinking... Yeah. <laughs> like, even with... Like, he did have friends, but even then, it's like there was no one else on his level. And before he became more accepted by the town, like, his peers, you know, they made fun of him in his youth. So he just, in many ways, was just different from everybody all around him. So one of his friends did talk about how he did have, you know, bouts of depression and his stepsister even talks about, it's like, you know, he was just, I think he was a little bit lonely. It was hard for him to reach out to other people. So then, and this plays a big role in Granger's life. So he's mastering all this like tech at a young age. He's rebuilding shit left and right. But then on October 4th of 1957, 
only days before Granger's 15th birthday, Sputnik 1 was launched by the USSR, the first artificial satellite to orbit the Earth, launching the space race. The race officially began on September 12th of 1962, when President John F. Kennedy made his very famous, uh, we will go to the moon speech. Mm. He says, We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. You know, I just get chills thinking. Don't about you just it. miss like real leadership on an executive level in the United States? Yeah, yeah, good old days. <laughs> oh man, when they were still, you know, everyone knew about their affairs, but at least they were tasteful about yeah, it. You know, God. Anyway, so. The next decade just saw like this explosion of science fiction literature. So even though UFOs had been previously a part of like the public consciousness, I mean, after all the Roswell, New Mexico incident happened in the summer of uh, 1947, daily discussion of rockets and astronauts reignited the public imagination. So during this decade, you're seeing uh, Yuri Gagarin become the first man in space. You're seeing John Glenn become the first American to orbit the Earth. You're seeing um, Alan Shepard become the first American in space, you're seeing all these milestones getting hit left and right. And on top of this, most of science fiction is about space exploration, about aliens, about UFOs. So that's just the shit at the time. It's like feeding into this like collective consciousness of like what's out there. Yeah. And then additive to this, Duncan BC sits in a well-known UFO hotspot. Strange lights and even flying saucers have been seen over the skies and edges of civilization. In fact, in 1969, just north of Duncan in British Columbia in Prince George, a UFO was seen by three unrelated witnesses in the metropolis. And I looked this up. Prince George BC is actually one of the largest cities in British Columbia. Oh, yeah. I just had no idea that it even existed. It's like something like this, like if this were to happen in Spokane, I mean, it's not, you know, like the metropolis of Seattle, but still a metropolis. Right. So uh, in this UFO incident, it was actually seen over the city, like in the city area. And on top of that, uh, and they described this as a round object radiating orange yellow light. And Granger was 16 when this happened. So I'm sure you've heard of like uh, the lights over like the smoky mountains, things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, If you guys don't know what we're talking about, watch any episode of The X-Files, really. (laughs) Uh, So, not only were UFOs in the forefront of everybody's mind, but he's in an area where people are claiming to see UFOs. So, even more so, people are interested there. Yeah. So, but also, as he entered his late teenage years and his early 20s, he was already experimenting with cannabis and LSD. It's the 60s and early 70s. And honestly, it's the 2020s now, and like, of all the ways to pathologize people like experimental drug use and it's just not one of them for me yeah yeah so i mean he he's smoking weed with his friends he's dropping acid every now and then he's already mastered all earthly mechanics but now his new interest becomes the movements of ufos and that's one of the big characteristics about ufos is that they move in all these strange patterns they can go really fast and then stop and they have maneuverability that we can't even fathom things that would tear our planes apart ufos can do with ease. In fact, you can see this on the footage that our government released this year. (laughs) That's right, Uh, because 2020 is a crazy year. Our government was like, yeah, UFOs are real anyway. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) but you were about to say something. Uh, Oh, I forget what it was. (laughs) Hmm. Oh, uh, so no, I was just going to go back to the idea that like that's why people are... That's why 
UFOs are more fascinating to people and it lends credence to the idea that they're from somewhere else because the way that they move defies like, our understanding of our physical capabilities. Yes, exactly. And so Granger's someone who loves building things, who loves mechanics, who's just a natural aptitude for it. When he's in an area where people are saying, you know, you can see these lights and these UFOs are everywhere and this is how they move, he wants to figure out how that works. Which makes sense. I mean, like you said, he's master <laughs> you know, the yeah. earthly realm. Let's look to the sky. Yeah. So, I mean, the last thing I want to do is just like paint with a broad stroke that this is just some nut job in Canada who thought he was going to go hang out with aliens for a while. This guy is literally a genius and you can see just like how things are falling in not only his personal history, but in world history that are leading him down this path. Yeah, I, I don't, I totally agree. And I also think like it's a cliche, but it's a cliche for a reason. Like the line between genius and insanity is not like is success, <laughs> but it's also like very subjective. Like what, what really does that mean? Like what would insanity mean? What would genius mean in this context? Because he clearly is a genius. Mm -hmm. Like he clearly has, I guess like, I guess what my point is, what I'm trying to say is like as non-geniuses, mm -hmm. it's hard to label someone crazy who's a genius because like maybe they just like have a better understanding of how things are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with that a hundred percent. So he combed through all the stories about their movement as he mulled over the mechanics he often got high. He believed that this helped his mind relax and open the doors to new ways of thinking. So like he might like, you know, smoke some weed or do some LSD. And like, while well, he's thinking about these things, because his brain is always working. Uh, see also Aldous Huxley with Doors of Perception mm -hmm. and uh, Brave New World. I mean, honestly, um, I know I've told you this before, but whenever I'm trying to figure out like how something like pieces together, sometimes if I'm just like looking at it, it's not going to work. But I have literally taken naps and had dreams of about how something needs to work and then woken up and like run off to do it and my husband's like what are you doing I'm like I had a dream and trust me <laughs> I think one of the big human problems that we don't want to admit or wrap our minds around is that our conscious minds get in the way sometimes mm -hmm. and it's like not that like we you know to keep it married to science not that we're necessarily tapping into something paranormal but we're tapping into this part of ourselves like this processing function that's going on on another level at all times so you sleep and your unconscious bumps that stuff up to the conscious or you do LSD and you are tuned into different parts of your experience than you would normally be if your conscious mind was getting in the way. Yeah, and I mean, um, that's what Eureka Theory is based on. It's about stepping away and doing some other mundane task so your brain can work on things in the background and when it's not the forefront, that's when you have your inspiration. And I think that's why a lot of people have inspiring thoughts in the shower. Yeah, shower thoughts. Yeah. Hashtag Reddit. It's a fun Reddit. <laughs> it's a great Reddit. I like shower thoughts. I also like kids falling down. <laughs> So my Reddit is so weird. It has things like creepy Wikipedia and catastrophic failure. But then I'll have things like oddly satisfying. Mm. So it's just like the happiest, most gentle things, most soothing things. Like the depths of everything in the world. You know, life is all about balance. It really is. I just like to balance in extremes. <laughs> So Granger and his friends spent a lot of time in his newly constructed UFO model that he and his family had on their property. His conversations often shifted to mechanical theory, though it's unknown when, at some point, Granger believed LSD was allowing him to contact aliens. They gave him insight into his projects, and they helped him focus, but it is theorized he soon decided to put his theories into action and build his own UFO. And like, okay, let's 
let's go with this for a second. He say, let's just say 100% he is actually contacting aliens Mm -hmm. and having his conscious mind out of the way and getting to focus on another part of his experience through hallucinogenic drugs is actually opening some sort of communication pathway. And like he does go to the aliens. Like I know human connections a real thing and I would miss my entire family and life and all that. But like he also is kind of a reject in this town. So like he goes to the aliens and he goes on this journey. Like what incentive does he have to actually come back after mm-hmm. the 42 months? That's actually a really good point. I mean, if I had a chance to explore the universe with aliens of higher intelligence and I'm someone who loves to learn things and I don't have anything even close to that keeping me home. Like let's say I'm not married. I don't have a Right. Friends. It's just you and your backyard and your spaceship you built yourself and like you've got a couple friends but like nobody you'll really miss. Dude, I would fucking take that opportunity in a heartbeat. Right. So I don't know. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna just float that idea. <laughs> so you remember how I told you that one of his friends said that Ranger told him a month before he disappeared that he was talking to aliens. Of According to Granger, he had also been trying to talk to aliens about how their UFOs work. And he said the only thing the aliens revealed to him is that it had something to do with magnetism, but they refused to go into further detail. He had, you know who that makes me think of? Secret tapes unreleased episode John Teeter. Oh, yeah! time traveler. It, actually, it's funny how many things I find actually tie back to magnetism. There was actually, um, have you heard of the Coral Castle? No. So it was built by one guy, just like in his free time. And he was also known as kind of like a small town genius who just like figured out how to put things together on top of like his day-to-day job. But he claimed before his death that he had figured out how the pyramids are actually built using technology that has since been lost to us, which I 100% believe because they are technologies that have been lost to civilization and then rediscovered. Also, yeah, Library of Alexandria. Yeah, oh my god, if that was still around. (laughs) Anyway, um, but he claimed that the machine required something to do with magnetism to help move those giant blocks to build the pyramids. Yeah, I I think um, along with dark matter, magnetism is something like, we like to pretend we understand it more than dark matter, but we don't. Like, Mm -hmm. I I don't even, I I don't even feel that bad referencing like the insane clown posse for the second time in this episode episode <laughs> <laughs> but they've got magnets how do they work and they're like song miracles and mm. part of that song is a little anti-science but part of that song is just expressing wonder at like the natural phenomenon that we halfway understand and halfway don't yeah i'm surprised at how much icp is coming into this episode last thing i expected look you and me both but 2020 is throwing a lot of curveballs <laughs> also also i'm gonna i'm gonna now keep we have like a new this. juggalo audience that we didn't expect and i'm actually gonna give mad props to the juggalos because they've canceled a lot of, they've canceled their events and stuff this year. The Juggalos have been a lot more pro-science and responsive to the actual health threat of this than like say the Trump campaign. Like they definitely like actually care about the health of their people and don't want them to show up and catch a horrible disease. Huh. I'm I'm actually kind of impressed with the Juggalos. I mean So we are pro Juggalo on Crackpot Cocktail Hour. Apparently. That's our official last stance. thing I thought I would say. Let's go buy some Fago. <laughs> you know we get some Shasta. <laughs> Anyway, this has been Juggalo Moment. (laughs) (laughs) Something we never thought we would have on this show. (laughs) Anyway, um, but part of his theory when it came to magnetism actually required the use of dynamite. Hmm. 
So I wanted to know how magnets and dynamite work together to create some kind of force, because I'm sure it works somehow. It's too complicated to get into, but I found answers from what was the most unlikely source for me. Insane Cloud Posse. (laughs) My grandpa. Oh my goodness. My grandfather recently wrote a book, and we will have uh, the link to it on our uh, website, and actually, let me see if I can. I was going to bring it with me today, and then I forgot, because I slept on my... I love you, Grandpa. He even signed it for me. I know. I've actually got to, um, like, flip through this book before, which is really cool. Oh, wow. It's actually, it's the first result on Amazon under his name. I am not even kidding. What's his name? George Henry Edwards. Understanding effects across space, electromagnetism, gravity, and inertia, the extended magnetism edition. Like a beach read, you'd call that. Like yeah, a- you know, it's something you like thumb through when you're bored. Uh, no, my grandfather actually wrote this book. Uh, he's a formal naval officer uh, specializing in engineering. It was actually edited by my Aunt Susan, who helped uh, do all the proofreading, helped him piece the whole thing together and get the publication underway. So I'm like, I need to learn about magnetism and energy and all these things. And hey, I have this book on my shelf that of all people who wrote it is my actual grandfather. That's so cool. Um, He is so much smarter than I will ever be. I've learned just so much about magnetism just by reading it. I found out that magnetism is actually a form of light and actually reacts both as a particle and as a wave, which actually opened my mind up to all sorts of different ways of thinking. That's the key to everything. Those things that function as more than one thing. Yeah. Yeah. And we can go into this all day. But anyway, so the long story short is that Granger's theories for using dynamite and magnetism. Though I don't know what his exact equations are, and he may not have written down an exact equation, the idea of the relationship between those two things is actually scientifically sound. I mean, it makes sense, but in a way that's, like, above my understanding. So here's actually the funny thing. So, um, Einstein, obviously, uh, my grandfather actually explains the theory of uh, general relativity and selective relativity in his book, which I think is just fucking awesome. But when Einstein was first imagining the theory of relativity, uh, of just selective relativity, not general relativity, which which is the E equals MC squared. Right. Before he came to that, he was on the bus from the patent office going home, and there was a giant clock that he used to be able to see out the back window, and he imagined as the bus was going faster, the clock moving slower. And so these visual interpretations of things were the ways that Einstein actually figured out how the universe worked. And then he did the math later in the math match. That's cool. So it makes sense to me that someone like Granger would be like, okay, so I may not know the exact equation to make this work, but I can see how the relationships between these things work. So that makes good sense to me. Yeah. So now we're going to get to the discovery. In March of 1986, forest workers in Mount Prevost of British Columbia came across the remains of a truck. The vehicle, long left to rest in pieces, was destroyed in an explosion many years before its discovery. It was immediately reported to the authorities. RCMP officers, or Royal Canadian Mountain Police, recovered bits of a black t-shirt, bone fragments, and a license plate which matched Granger's missing Dawson. The plates had expired in 1981. Granger's mother identified the bits of clothing as those of her son, while forensic scientists believe the bones belong to Granger, but also remember, these are just bone fragments, and this is 1986. Not DNA. DNA testing, yeah. Yeah. 
After a short investigation, it was believed the dynamite in Granger's truck ignited the night he had left a note in November in 1980, and the 29th is officially listed as the day of his passing. Wow. Many questions remain, and we're going to kind of like explore those together really quick. So... The first question is, did Granger commit suicide? The other was, was he actually trying to use the dynamite to make his own UFO and build his own engine to meet the aliens? Another was, what if he just faked his death? I mean, this is the 80s. There's no DNA DNA, testing. We can never 100% say that this was Granger. Like, everything is pointing to it being him. But there's still a chance it wasn't him at all. Like, he may not have even been in the truck. And those could have been other remains that were recovered. I'm going B and C. (laughs) Um, the other one is that, was he actually taken aboard an alien craft? Or say, yeah, no, C and D, that's what I mean. I think it happened, and I think they left behind misdirecting evidence. And then the final one is other. I think, yeah, combo. I'm going that. Because, like, that's the most hopeful one for me. And also, like, if these aliens have technology beyond what we understand, like... What's a few bone fragments and a t-shirt and like... Yeah. And you're going to leave your truck there forever, so you don't care if you blow that up. Like, yeah. Like, I, I'm i going to cross off the suicide theory right away. I know, Me too. Like, his sister said that, you know, he was depressed and he was lonely, but he'd never spoken about suicide. He didn't have suicidal ideation. And most people who commit suicide try uh, a couple times before they actually succeed. And I'm not saying that's the case for everybody. Sure. I mean, there are, you know, surprise cases where, you know, first time nobody saw it coming. But the data is gen- does generally suggest there are usually attempts beforehand. He just, he doesn't feel like someone who would have been suicidal. That's really what I thought too. I kind of dismissed that out of hand when you said that um, for the same reason, because it's like, yeah, sure, he was an outcast and like all of that, but also like, to, and to like, in un- a very unusual suicide would be to blow oneself up on purpose using dynamite like that would be yeah i mean i know men use usually more violent ways of suicide like hanging shooting themselves while women usually do things like um poison themselves yeah and so that's blowing yourself up it's yeah it's super aberrant and also i just don't get that yeah and again you know this is all speculation but i just don't get that vibe from him like yeah yeah and i mean knowing granger if he wanted to kill himself i feel like he would have come up with a better way to kill himself right yeah so i think this was either he unintentionally blew himself up which is probably the most science-based explanation Mm. or you know it worked (laughs) you know i'm i'm actually leaning more towards it was an accident because also remember that night there was a huge storm yeah and so i'm thinking he's going up the mountain maybe he's thinking he's going to rendezvous with the aliens maybe he's thinking about building his own engine but he has this dynamite in the car and between lightning wind jostling around a lot of unknown elements that usually aren't in play and if you if you are like smoking a joint or something and you've got some sort of spark or fire nearby something explosive yeah i i think that this was an accident but if he was abducted now i'm gonna go really crackpot on this all right it's the hour for it i think the aliens are also responsible for the storm <laughs> oh all right unpack that <laughs> <laughs> and we're back in <laughs> Because I'm thinking, like, how much how much energy would need to be created to not only cross an entire galaxy or just an entire solar system just to get to our planet, and how much energy would need to be put together to actually maneuver in the ways that they do, and what would that impact have on our environment if you were to invite someone into that envelope you've created of safety? Because there has to be some sort of envelope sure. of safety for that to work. I mean, in Star Trek, they call it a. I'm sure you've heard like the deflector shield. 
You know why there's a deflector shield? No. Because they're literally warping space around them. Mm. So a point between two planets by bending space when you arc that space closes that space between the two planets. But to keep the ship from being crushed, you need to have gotcha. a deflector shield. Some so sort. you're saying that the storm could be caused by uh, like some sort of consequence of disrupting the environment with their ships, uh, the very nature of the way their ship operates. Yes, because it's one thing to contain that envelope within atmosphere because you would still feasibly be able to visit be able to see vehicles that are in a warped space. Sure. But, number one, it would be distorted, which could also be why we only see light, or why all UFOs come from everything from saucers to cigar shape to whatever, because we're just seeing them from different points of view. I mean, you've seen Interstellar, when they show what the black hole looks mm-hmm. like. It's not just a hole, it's, it's like, like a warped hole. around yeah. it. And even that's not the most accurate depiction of a black hole. I mean, now we've actually seen one. Yeah. But... If you were to open that envelope to bring someone into it and you were to interact with their atmosphere, what would that do? Mm, I think that's a fun question. I mean, that's completely woo-woo and out there and there are like a thousand scientists screaming at me, you're an idiot. <laughs> but I think it's a fun question. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, as long as we're speculating on what could be, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I think that's just a fun question. I think the logical part of me, the Agent Scully in me, is saying that there was probably an accident and... And he unintentionally ignited the dynamite, or the dynamite ignited somehow, which led to his unfortunate death. Um, The fun woo-woo side of me, the molder side of me, wants to say the aliens came and it was a frame job. Yeah, I mean, the truth is out there. I want to believe. Yeah. (laughs) So... I have two things to part on. Okay. Number one, remember how I said Granger was a stepson? Yes. When he was a child, his dad went out fishing and never returned. It was assumed that he may that he may have drowned. No body was ever recovered, and just like his son, Granger's father disappeared into thin air. Oh my goodness. So interesting parallels there to begin yes. with. Do we know around how old Granger was or how old his dad was when this happened? I was trying to figure that out. And like, was it 32? Because that makes me think suicide. <laughs> well, because I, I thought I heard somewhere that Granger was eight, but then I like felt like maybe he was younger when it happened. But he was old enough to, he knew his father and mm. he did miss his father when he was gone. But his father also just disappeared. It sounded like he had a very loving relationship with his stepfather, Jim. In fact, the night before Granger disappeared, he sat down with his stepdad in his stepdad's room and and just thanked him for like always being there for him, for taking him under his wing and always being the father figure for him. So it sounded like even though he was in a blended family, it was a very loving family. And he was saying goodbye. And his stepdad didn't know it then. Mm. And then here's the last thing that I'm going to end on. And this is a quote from BBC Spaceman by Taylor Hooper. But often, on a clear evening, I find myself looking up at the night sky thinking about him. The idea is that there may be something out there, extraterrestrials, another universe or galaxy filled with life, is overwhelming. And then I'll catch a glimpse of a shooting star or a meteor passing through the Earth's atmosphere and smile. If anyone could find a way to travel to a world beyond the cosmos, it would have been Granger Taylor. After all, when he put his mind to something, he did it. I love that. And that's where I want to end today's episode. 
What a what a rich, like possibly sad, possibly exciting story. Like he's he's just kind of an inspiring figure. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I feel like I would have really liked to have known Granger Taylor. I would have loved to like grown up in a town with someone with like Granger Taylor. Yeah. So I mean, I I hope because he sounds like such a wonderful person, I hope he's out there exploring the cosmos and learning untold truths that we can't even fathom right now. I hope so too. Granger, if you're still tied to a human media and you hear this we're fans yeah go get him granger <laughs> if he has passed then i mean truly the world has lost a gem yeah but speaking to your point like and i want to get some of your thoughts on this too it's like this is someone who clearly has a different way of thinking overall and you did say that you know you did think you know a little bit about mental illness with some i'm always thinking about mental but illness do you think that could have been more of uh less uh, escapism through a mental illness do you think could have been brought on by LSD? What are your thoughts? I'm really curious to pick your brain on that part of it. Uh, So there is evidence for uh, psychotic disorders triggered by hallucinogenic and uh, even weed uh, substances. So like both cannabis and uh, LSD have been implicated in sometimes if your brain is already kind of programmed to go that way, it can be the thing that pushes you into schizophrenia or psychosis. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's a limited psychotic episode. Sometimes it's the trigger for kind of a lifelong mental illness. Mm -hmm. Um, that's clearly not the norm or what usually happens to people who smoke pot or dry LSD, but it is an outlying uh, possibility. So there's that. Uh, That's definitely something I wanted to highlight. The other thoughts that I have, though, are I think it just makes, like, he was depressed, it seemed like, but it makes sense, kind of made sense also for him to be kind of depressed in the situation he was in. So uh, there is some credence to the idea of suicide. It doesn't feel like a suicide to me, but still um, preparing for a journey could also be a metaphor. Um, So those are kind of just like red flag moments, the the idea that a substance can trigger psychosis and also like the saying goodbye deliberately and like rewriting his will like maybe he did legitimately believe that he was going to go see the aliens and maybe this was like kind of a something he told himself so he could go through what he was planning to do maybe he was having a heaven's gate moment where he thought you know i need to leave my earthly vessel behind in order to join the aliens that i'm going to meet not necessarily i think this is my actual death i'm ending it all here it's i am releasing from this form to go on this other adventure. Yes, and I think that's a, like a distinct possibility because we also don't really know how your mind works if you start like loosening up some of those things that we take for granted like mm-hmm. my the end of my physical body is the end of me in this realm, whatever that means, like even if heaven is real, it's still like not the same me like in this body going on, like that death is real and so if you start questioning that like corporeal death is even real, mm-hmm. then who knows like what that allows you to then do. Yeah, so yeah. curious. Um, would this be a good time, I think so, to announce the next episode? Absolutely. So now that I've uh, brought you a foes into the picture, what are you bringing us next week? Well, actually, I thought it was a good transition because you wanted my mental health opinion. Mm-hmm. And what we're going to be talking about was suggested by your therapist, identifying narcissists. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So oh, and I love next... my therapist. I have a great therapist. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm uh, pretty excited to dive into that. I think it's timely <laughs> yeah and i think it's something that we all need to know like yeah. i think it's just arm yourself yeah and like especially i think especially empathic people who are who i tend to try to surround myself with are at higher risk of being taken advantage by narcissists because we care and we love and we want to be there and we want to help and narcissists are like hell yeah you do <laughs> yeah i'm gonna have some feels on the next episode um and i'm probably gonna have some stories i may have to edit out or at least bleep a few names yeah we're gonna we're gonna process <laughs> 
<laughs> we're gonna wrap our minds and hearts around it. So uh, I really hope your next cocktail is a really strong one. I'm pretty excited. Part of the reason that I decided to go with this is I was looking for cocktails that would help me recycle the ingredients that we've already bought because we're trying to make this more sustainable. And Narcissus is flour. Uh, and also a Narcissus cocktail is includes both gin and creme de violet. Ah, oh, perfect. So I think I'm probably going to do a riff on that. So uh, hold on to your ingredients. Yes. yes. Oh, I am so excited. Yay. Oh man, I am so happy for this season. I got pretty pumped. This is a good one so far. <laughs> well, thank you guys for listening as always. Yes. And uh, stay cracked. Stay cracked. Crack it like it's hot. All that. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers. Clink. <laughs> As always, thank you for listening, and if you like what you heard today, please leave us a positive review and a five-star rating, and tell your friends. All of that helps people know who we are so that we can bring you more of what you love. If you'd like more information on a specific episode, visit our website, crackpotcocktailhour.com, and click on the episode's link. If you'd like to know when new episodes are coming out and see the cocktail recipes in advance, subscribe to us in your podcast app and follow us on social media. We are Crackpot Cocktail Hour on Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest, and we're at Crackpot Hour on Twitter. If you've got feedback for an episode or would like to suggest an episode topic, feel free to email us. We're crackpotcocktailhour at gmail.com. Until next time, crackpots, crack Crack it it like it's hot. hot!